Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. Well, I am ready for a Bible study. Are you ready for a Bible study? Luke chapter 14 this morning. Luke chapter 14. And uh, we're continuing the, the study of the life and the ministry of Jesus in a chronological order. And uh, we find ourselves in the midst of a dinner party where Jesus is um, been invited by a prominent uh, Pharisee, and he is he has extended that invitation to Jesus to come and have dinner with him on the Sabbath day, and Jesus uh, accepts that invitation, which I think is kind of interesting because uh, it, Jesus is one of those um, you know the Pharisees are not uh, definitely Jesus is not on their favorite list, and so for Jesus to accept the invitation really speaks volumes I think to us about how we're to treat our enemies right. I mean, Jesus is the model example of how we're to treat those people who are not so kind to us, who are, who are haters of us, really, the people that are haters in our lives. And, and those would be the Pharisees and the scribes in Jesus' day. And, and he would be invited to a dinner party, and he would go because here's the thing about God is that, you know, he, he's not, uh, he doesn't want to keep his, his enemies at arm's length distance. Like, he wants to get as close to them as possible because he wants to minister and he wants to try and woo them to himself. And so Jesus went with that heart. Like, his heart was all about ministry. When he would go and, and, and meet with the Pharisees and stuff, he didn't, he didn't avoid them. He, you know, he loved them and he wanted to minister to them. And that might be a surprise to you today because, um, you know, maybe there's people in your life that um, are, you know, maybe not your best friend, maybe are speaking behind your back, trying to set you up to fail or whatever it might be, and yet you're saying, I'm going to keep them at an arm length distance, I'm going to avoid them at all costs, and Jesus would say, no, that's not what you're to do as a Christian, you're, you're to love on them and just minister to them and, and do what you can do to live at peace with all men, but, but Jesus would be reaching out to these people as, as opportunity would, would, would avail itself, you know, so that's a great lesson for us in, in, in the sense of what we're to do when it comes to um, dealing with those people who aren't um, really that kind to us. Uh, 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 what, what we find here is that Jesus goes to this party, and, the, and, and lo and behold, there's a setup there. There's a man that has dropsy. It's a, uh, it's a condition that causes a person to retain water, and it, it's a result. It's really simply a symptom of something more uh, serious going on in the body. It, it's a, a result of, maybe of, a, of some sort of organ failure, maybe congestive heart failure. When people have congestive heart failure, they, they, they retain water. Same with liver failure. Uh, edema is basically what it is. And, and so this guy is, is brought in for that purpose so that Jesus could be confronted with, with this, this idea of, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? They are trying to, uh, you know, set Jesus up so they can uh, basically condemn him. And Jesus, you know, before anybody even says anything, he, he puts two and two together and um, he basically says to them, rather than them ask him the question, he asks them the question, let me ask you, is it lawful for a person to heal on the Sabbath or not? And it says that they didn't, no one said a word to him. Like, they were like, oh, I think he might know. Uh, we've been, we've set him up and he's on to us kind of thing. But no one says anything to him. And Jesus says, Jesus says, well, let me answer the question myself. And he just heals the guy. And, um, and then Jesus goes on throughout uh, John, uh, Luke chapter 14, verses 7 through 14, he goes on to give um, a, a parable, and he talks about the idea of the importance of being humble in, in, in our lives here on earth, and the fact that as we're humble, 
in our lives on earth here that we will be exalted in heaven. And he, he visually watches these, um, these, these people who are invited to the, to the banquet, to the dinner. He watches them try and pick their seats. And he watches them scrambling to try and get the best seat because in that culture, you know, the host would sit in the middle, and then it would, on each side of the host, they would sit in a triclinium table, which is basically a U-shaped table. Host would sit in the middle. The people on the right and the left would go from most important to least important all the way out to the end of the U. And so they were scrambling to get the best seats, and Jesus told those who were invited, hey, don't scramble for the best seats. Listen, sit, take, take the least seat, and then if the host comes to you and, and says, hey, you're, you're more honorable than that, come and sit up, then you'll be exalted. But but what would happen if you were to sit in a seat of honor and somebody more honoring than you were there, then you would be asked to move down. And so he said, don't do that. Pick the least seat. And then he turned to the, to the host then, and he tells the host, hey, um, you know, when you invite people over to this dinner party, I want you to uh, make sure that you invite the least of the people in the community, not the best. And, and the, the reason Jesus is addressing this is because culturally, What's happening is that they are um, essentially inviting, it, it's, it's sort of a social currency, if you will, like they're inviting uh, these people to come to this banquet for the, uh, for the um, hopes of being exalted at their banquet. And so that was what was happening. And so Jesus told the host, hey, when you invite somebody to your banquet, don't just invite them um, with the idea that, you know, they're going to invite you back so that you can be exalted. No, humble yourself. Invite those people that can't repay you. And then Jesus says, you will be repaid, verse 14, in the resurrection. And that's where we pick it up this morning. And so, long introduction, but it brings you up to speed. I hate to just pop into the middle of a conversation when Jesus, uh, you know, you have to understand the context of what's happening. So, stand with me if you would. We're going to read Luke chapter 14, beginning in verse 15 and through 24 this morning. The Word of God says, when one of those who reclined at the table... With him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. And he said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the, at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they were all alike, began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field, and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have, I have bought five yoke of oxen. And I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to the master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city. Bring in the poor, the cripple, and blind and lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you have commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master of the servant Master said to the servant, go out to the high highways and the hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. And Father, we thank you so much for your word this morning. We thank you um, what, it, what it means for us in the fact that there is an, a glorious invitation given here, Lord, to all of us. May we hear that invitation and respond to it. Lord, in, in a way that, would, um, that we would accept it. I pray that you would just speak to each one of our hearts this morning, God, and just, just by your spirit that you would make yourself known to us in a new and a fresh way. So, Lord, we, we come and we ask that you would teach us now by your spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Whoa, and uh, he said, let there be light. 
and there was light. So yesterday, I posted on my Facebook, uh, I posted a question in preparation for my sermon this morning, and the question was this, what's the most anticipated and glorious invitation that you have ever been given? The most glorious and anticipated invitation you've ever been given. You know, like somebody extended some invitation to you and you were so excited about it that you're still thinking about it today. What was that for you? Maybe there are multiple things. I, I had lots of different people uh, bring different responses. Um, some had to do with just personal achievements that they had made or, or, or a results of things that were going on in their lives that they were invited to come speak on behalf of something as a result of that or, or teach on something as a result of uh, something that they had done. They're, they're, you know, just, just as they saw the reward of, of, what, of the effect in their life. And then there were some that would talk about you know, just being invited to, um, you know, one guy said he, he, he was invited to marry his, his spouse. That doesn't happen every day where a girl, in, you know, uh, asked a man to marry him. And so that was kind of special for him. You know, we, we had uh, a, a one lady say that she was invited to photograph a veteran's funeral, which, which she felt was very, very honorable. And I think that's a very honorable thing, too. So she was really um, excited and honored to do that, we had uh, one of our, um, uh, John Young here, he said he got to fly, uh, fly in an F-15E Strike Eagle. Uh, Tom Cruise doesn't have anything on him then because he was only in an F-14, so, you know, John had the privilege of being able to get in one of those things. How awesome is that? Um, one person was said that they didn't even been invited to the White House, wow. Been invited to the White House on for, for something that her husband had won, he was in the military, and so, he got invited to come to the White House. And, and those are all great illustrations of different um, types of uh, invitations that we've been given that, that were kind of cool, that, that impacted our lives in some way. For me, you know, other than the fact that I was, uh, my, my cousin graciously reminded me that I was invited to, um, you know, to marry he and his wife, so that should be mine, he thought, but, uh, which, which, you know, it was an honor. It was an honor, I mean, it was. It was my, actually my first wedding, and so, you know, I didn't have anything to lose. He had everything to lose, but, you know, it went, it, it went okay. But uh, they're still married, so praise God for that. And, uh, you know, actually, one of the things that I thought of immediately that really was cool for me is not, this is not super spiritual, not spiritual at all, actually, but uh, the idea that I, I got to go to Game 6 in 1998, the NBA Finals, where Chicago Bulls um, played against the Utah Jazz, and I got to see Michael Jordan's last game. How cool is that? It was awesome, as a bull, anyway. He would come back and, you know, whatever. He's probably still coming back, playing somewhere. But, um, you know, it was, it was cool. We had a great seat. Uh, I was invited by a, a freight company that um, uh, the company that I was doing business with, uh, that I was working for, was doing business with this uh, freight company. And they had season tickets in Utah at uh, Salt Lake City. So uh, my brother and I got the opportunity to go and be a part of that. And, man, it was an experience. I was so excited to go. You know, you know, it's one of those things you can't wait to, you can't hardly sleep the night before, and you're just so excited to go, and, and um, I get up early, and it's a 10-hour drive, so I've got to go pick my brother up, and we've got to get going, and, and so apparently he wasn't as enthusiastic about it as I was, because when I showed up, he was still sleeping, and so I had to bang on the door to wake up his, um, his roommate to wake him up so that we could get to the game and, and all that kind of stuff, but long story short, Man, it was, it was a great time. It was something that I'll never forget. It was just really cool to be able to do that. Well, there is something that is far cooler, 
an invitation that's been extended to us, to all of us actually, that is far cooler than that. And that is to be in relationship with the God of heaven. That invitation through Jesus Christ is called the gospel. And the gospel is the invitation that God has given to us. And that's what we find in our text today. Jesus is talking about the greatest invitation that's ever been given. And guess what? You're invited. It's personal. Jesus says that you're invited this morning. You know, it, it, this, this invitation trumps every other invitation that you'll ever get in your life. I don't care how cool it might be in this world. It will never compare to the invitation that Jesus is talking about in this text. He's talking about uh, something called the marriage supper of the Lamb. How many of you guys are excited about the marriage supper of the Lamb? The marriage supper of the Lamb, man. It is going to be an incredible celebration time where we are in glory with the King of kings and Lord of lords, and we are eating at the table with him. And we're, 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 just, we're just celebrating what he has done for us as the bride of Christ. We come. We're not just part. We're just not bystanders in this feast. We're part of it, man. We are in the wedding party. We are the bride. We're the church. And we get to sit at this table with God, and he invites uh, you to be part of that. And he's still extending that hand to say, come and be, be invited to come to this great banquet that I will host uh, when, when all of this is said and done. And, and, and you're going you're gonna to truly miss it if you don't accept this invitation. The text that, that we get this concept from is Revelation chapters 19, verses 6 through 9. It says this, Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and, and like the sound of many uh, peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory, for the marriage of, uh, of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted to her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to, to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And so this is the invitation that we're speaking about this morning in our text. And uh, the first thing that we, our, our account begins by um, Jesus, or some fellow bringing up this messianic feast uh, that will happen at the resurrection verse 15 look with me there it says when one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things he said to him blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of god now notice what it says it says that it was when somebody at the table heard these things well, what are these things that they heard? The, the things that were just uh, expressed by Jesus. We have to go backwards in order to make sense of what's happening forwards. And so we look at verses 12 through 14. It says, he, Jesus, said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed, listen, because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. That's what they just got done hearing, in and in response to that, the fact that Jesus talked about being blessed in the resurrection, and this idea brought up in some man's mind, sitting at that table, the concept of the messianic feast that would accompany the resurrection. He had an idea about what Jesus was talking about. The problem is he had the wrong perspective. He had the wrong perspective. He said uh, to, to everybody at the table, blessed is, he, is everyone who will eat uh, the bread of the kingdom of God. When this man said this, 
he was first and foremost presuming he would be one that would be eating at that table. Number one, that was just, that was just you know, something that didn't need to be said. Of course, we Jews will be at that table. Of course we will, because we're Jews. We have the promise, right? And by the way, I'm pretty righteous too. And so the guy was also making a declaration of his own works, the fact that he himself could stand on his own and that he would be made right based on his works. And um, what, what we find out is Jesus tells them, look, that's not the case. If you look at verse 24, you find that Jesus said, everyone, every one of these people that were invited will not be there, will not be there. This, this tells me something important about walking with the Lord and, and thinking that we're in relationship or, or presuming that we are, we are right with God when we are not. And, and that's the idea that we, we, we get familiar with all these terms, these Christ, this Christianese, you know, these words, resurrection, you know, um, eternal life salvation, gospel, all these kind of things, and we sort of just take them in, and they become so familiar to us that we don't, we, we don't really even consider the weight of what they mean, and we make them whatever we want them to mean, and that's really what the Jews had done uh, to the word of God. They'd sort of just made their own declaration to what it was to be. The Lord would say to them, boy, you guys, have, you guys, are, you guys are way off track. You've made it all about you. You've made it all about yourself. You've not made it about the center of everything is Jesus Christ, not you, not your works. And yet, they would stand boldly and say, of course I'm going to be in the heaven. Of course I'm going to be in the kingdom of God. Isn't it that way today when you talk to people about heaven? Doesn't everybody have some idea how they're going to get to heaven? Everybody has some presumptuous, um, you know, idea of what it means, what heaven is, and how it will be, how we will get there. And yet the Bible makes it pretty simple for us, makes it very clear for us how we get there. It's through Jesus. It's through Jesus and Jesus alone. It's not through anything that we've done. Do you know that Christianity is the only religion that, that, that basically brings uh, our works to, to nothing before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and that every other religion is trying to reach up to God and, and raise themselves up on their own? Do you know that, that, that Christianity is the only one that says, you're not good enough, but I can make you good enough? Do you know Christianity is the only one that says, you know, even though you continue to fail in life, you're, for, you're forgiven and you're cleansed because my sacrifice is enough for you? It's Christianity that would speak to us about the, and being honest with us about who we really are. The Bible tells us that, man, none of us are good. Oh, he's a good person. Well, what does that mean? What does it mean he's a good person? Well, it, you know, depending on your definition of good then, that's what it would mean. And so it could mean all kinds of things. These Jews were completely off base as it relates to the resurrection and being blessed, and yet they are presumptuous. And they are, they are rejecting Jesus' words. Jesus just told them, don't exalt yourself. And yet here's this guy standing up right after he got done saying this, exalting himself. Look at me. I will be at the table eating bread in the kingdom of God. When Jesus brought up this concept of resurrection, they would automatically think about, no doubt, Isaiah 25, because that was the prophetic word given that would accompany during the resurrection this feast that he's talking about. And so here's what it says. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, uh, uh, of uh, rich food full of marrow, of aged wine and well-refined, and he will swallow up 
On this mountain, the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe, wipe away tears from all faces, and the reproach of his people will be taken away from all the earth. And the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice and listen. His salvation. Now, now what, we, what we read in this text is there's a feast that's going to happen, yes. But notice when it comes to talking about, you know, righteousness and, and the idea and, and that salvation is all a work of God, not of themselves. And so they would only, they would take scriptures like this and they would pick apart the things that they like about it and that they would, they would, they would insert themselves in these things and make it about themselves. Listen, we have to be careful as we read the word of God that we don't make it, try and make it form to our image, but we let, we become formed into its image, which is Jesus. He is the word. He's the living word. And so that's what was supposed to happen in our lives as we read the word of God, that it's supposed to transform us and shape us and make us more like Jesus. And if you're not, uh, if you don't give the word of God the proper place in your life or you don't um, heed the word of God, then that won't happen. There has to be an active pursuance on your part to sit and to read the word of God, to allow it to transform your life, and then to do what it says. As James would tell you, don't just be hearers of the word, be doers. Don't just sit around and talk about how great these Bible passages are. Live them out. Don't, don't, don't just sit there and, and, and say like, oh man, I'm so grateful that, um, you know, that, that Jesus has set me free and yet you're in bondage. Well, walk in freedom. You've been given that. Jesus is victorious over all things, and so we can walk in victory, and we can apply the word of God into our lives. And if we don't, then maybe we're just walking merely in a religious form that has no power at all. Maybe we're trying to reach God on our own terms, and God would say it's impossible for you to do that. These guys understood. They had, uh, you know, eschatologically speaking, they had an understanding of the afterlife. It was contained in the, in the Hebrew, uh, what they call in the Hebrew, Elam Haba, which is the world to come. And, and that's what they refer to as the spiritual afterlife. They understood that the Messiah was going to come, that he was going to set up a kingdom, that, they, um, that all those righteous would be brought into that kingdom and that they would, they would rule and reign with him forever. And that's what they were looking for. They understood that according to the scriptures. The problem is that they, they didn't realize that they needed to be clothed in his righteousness to get there, not their own. And so they were, they were so heavily focused on the idea of being righteous. You know, Jesus just got done saying in verse 14, the resurrection of the just, that word can also be translated righteous. They were so heavily focused on that idea that they thought they had to obtain that themselves, and they didn't. It was, it was brought through Jesus Christ was brought through him. The Bible tells us in Romans 3.10, no one is righteous. No, not one. Uh, Paul is quoting there from, from Psalm 14 and Psalm 53. This was in the Old Testament. These are things that they didn't have to try and figure out, but they overlooked. They made it ma a man-centered religion rather than walking with God in a real way, just simply, you know, coming as you are and allowing God's word to be the definer in our life and, and submitting to what it has to say. Back in that day, it would mean that you would take a sacrifice to the temple and that that blood would cover you for your sin. 
when you would sin, you would take a sacrifice to the, to the temple and that that sacrifice would become the, the covering for you that, that God Almighty might have mercy upon you. That was the prescribed, you know, whatever, that was prescribed for sin during that time. Everything's changed for us since Jesus came. He is the sacrifice. Remember when Abraham went up on the mountain and he was going to sacrifice his son? God told him, you take your son up there. And, uh, and, and as they were making, it, making the way up there, it's interesting that uh, uh, Isaac was carrying the wood. The wood was laid upon, upon his shoulders. It's a picture of the cross. And, Jesus, and, and, and he would take that wood up to the top, and there would be an altar made there. And Abraham would take a knife, and he would bind his son down upon that altar. Right before he was ready to strike the knife down into his son, all of a sudden an angel pops out, and he says, hold on a second. I have a sacrifice for you. And in the thicket, there was a, a ram there, and they brought the ram, slayed it, and that became the sacrifice. That's a picture of what Jesus did for us. He is our sacrifice. He died for our sin. It's his blood that covers us. And because his blood covers us, we're made righteous in him. That We're clothed in his righteousness. Paul would go on to tell us that in Philippians chapter 3, verses 8 through 11. It says, indeed, I count everything as lost. Now, this guy was religious. This guy was one of those guys that was so religious that, you know, uh, people probably couldn't even stand to be around him because all he talked about was religion. Well, that's not right. Well, this is right. You know, uh, we have to do it this way or that way because he was so meticulous and so religious. He was so steadfast on trying to please the Lord. He had the right heart. He was just following the wrong doctrine, you see. But, but Paul said, I counted everything as lost. Even all those things that I had really counted as being my salvation, I count them all as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and counted them as rubbish. Listen, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. What, what he's saying right there is the idea that, that if he doesn't forsake everything else, that he can't gain Christ. Because Jesus will not share you. He will not be a co-pilot in your life. He has to be the king of your life. You have to lay down everything before him. Submit it to him saying, I'll do whatever you want me to do. Paul understood that. He said that. And listen, he goes on to say, um, in order that I might um, gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Here's a guy who was living just like these guys. It was all about him, puffed up, you know, I'm pretty good, I'm, I'm really righteous, all this kind of stuff. And, and really, at the end of the day, he, 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 he knew there was something off. And Jesus interrupted his, his life on the road to Damascus and unveiled the sinfulness of his heart. And he said, Paul, what are you doing, man? I know you, you think you're serving God, but you're not. Listen, the people that you're persecuting, do you realize that in so doing, you're persecuting me? And it was in that moment when his life changed, where he had a collision with Christ, and he was never the same. He didn't play church after that. He didn't, he didn't you know kind of have this one world and one foot in the world, one foot in the church kind of relationship with God. He was full on steadfast for the Lord. And the Lord said, I have a plan and a purpose for you. Listen to me. God has a plan and a purpose for you. He's called you into relationship, not so that you can straddle 
the world and the church, but so that you can walk faithfully in him and reveal him to this dying world that needs Jesus. Part of his plan for your life is for you to be the carrier of the gospel into the world so that you can invite other people in. But listen, if you miss that, you're missing a big portion of why you exist today. You know, th this is about us growing in the knowledge of Jesus Christ, yes, but not for the sake of just gaining knowledge. We're supposed to grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ so that we can go into the world and tell them about him, that we can, we can have something tangible to speak about when we tell people that, listen, God loves you, that he has a plan for your life. He died for you, and he wants to forgive you of your sins, and, you know, you can't stand before God on your own. I tell you what, if somebody would not have shared that message with me, I wouldn't be here today because I was one of those people who thought that as long as I was doing good, as long as I was a good person, right? My own definition, by the way. And as long as I, my good deeds outweighed my bad deeds, anybody in that boat, you know, you're kind of in the balance and you're like, I'm pretty good. You know, I, I, don't, I don't do a lot of bad things and yet, you know, you're discounting a lot of stuff the Bible says that's bad, but you know, whatever. And so, you know, you're in the balance and you're telling yourself, well, I'm pretty good. I think I can make it on my own. And the Bible would say, you're completely lost and you're dead and you will, you will stand in the resurrection to, to hear the words, depart from me, I never knew you. I never knew you. And I'm grateful that there was people that were faithful with the gospel in my life that would continue to go and tell me, listen, you're not good enough to stand before God. You're not good enough. Because at the end of the day, I understood that I wasn't perfect. I understood that there were things that weren't right in my life. So the question became, how do I pay for those? Is it simply just weighing the good out of the bad? No, that's not the way it works. There has to be a sacrifice. There has to be bloodshed for forgiveness to be given. Jesus was that sacrifice. And so remember, as you go into the world, you tell people about the righteousness that he gives you because of his sacrifice, because of his blood. Just remember that you're the carriers of that into the world. And there are many, many people that are trying to reach God in their own way, and they're missing it. Jesus understands where this guy's coming from. He understands that he's familiar with the word resurrection, that he's familiar with the concept of righteousness, but that his perspective is all messed up. He doesn't, he, he's kind of, they've kind of made it their own. And so Jesus is going to bring some perspective now in a parable that he, uh, he talks about as it relates to the feast that will happen in the resurrection. And so uh, here we find a parable, again, a, an, an earthly story that describes a heavenly uh, principle. He's, Jesus is laying down an earthly story alongside of a heavenly principle so that these guys can understand it. And he says in verse 16, But Jesus said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. And so here we have a man that was going to give this great banquet, right? Jesus is making a story, and it's going to parallel a heavenly truth, which we'll get to at the end here. But um, he, he's, he's giving a great banquet, and he's inviting many to come. Now, you have to understand during the, this culture how invitations worked. Okay, so, so it wasn't like us today when, you know, you get an invitation in the mail, you're like, oh, so-and-so's getting married. Great, August 25th, I'll put that at 3 o'clock, right? I'll put that on my calendar, and I'll be there. It'll be great, awesome time or whatever. So-and-so's having a, a a party and you're invited and so it's seven o'clock on Friday night, whatever it might be. The way these invitations worked is that 
um, they would go out into you know, the invited guests and they would say, they would send a servant and they'd say, so-and-so extends the, this invitation for you to come to this great banquet on, on um, Friday the 25th, okay? And, and so there was no time given. It was just, it will be on that day. And then you're just sort of left to kind of be ready and be prepared for the, for the moment the servant would come back and tell you like, okay, now it's time, let's go. So let's go, go to the banquet. Because, remember, in this culture, it wasn't like you could call Publix up and order, you know, 150 pieces of chicken. Uh, you know, you, you couldn't do any of that. There, you, you, everything was made by scratch. And so, you know, it depended on everything was, uh, you know, it depended on how things went during the day, what time this feast would begin. And so uh, what would happen is that the people would sort of RSVP. They say, yeah, I'll go. I'll go to the, the wedding banquet or whatever it is, the great banquet. And then um, the, t- the time would come for that day. And then once the food was prepared and everything, um, then the master would go out and send the servant back out into those invited guests, and he would tell them, hey, now it's time. You can come now to the banquet. And they were expected to come. They, they were expected because they said they would be there. They were expected to be there because, uh, you know, this guy had gone to great lengths to, to prepare this food, and, and you know, it, it wasn't a small task. I mean, these people you realize living in biblical days that these people fought every day to put food on the table, right? It's not like they just ran, oh, let's just go through McDonald's. These people made their own food every day, and, and sometimes they didn't even have the means to be able to make their food every day. And so it was a struggle every day to put food on the table, and so this would be sort of a blessing, actually, to be invited to one of these, one of these banquets. It would be something that people would look forward to. And, and so they, they would definitely, yeah, I'll be there, man. There's a banquet, I'm there. Awesome. The wife's going, yes, I don't have to cook. Any, any ladies out there with that? Yes, no cooking. Um, so, you know, so that's how that worked. Jesus is describing for us this, that, that basically the man invited many, and then it, when it was time for, for the banquet to happen, um, he went back out and he said, okay, now come, everything's ready. Um, and, and so now look at verse 18. But they all alike began to make excuses. They all alike begun to make excuses. Well, I can't come today. Oh, is that today? Oh, man, I thought that it was next week. I did, oh, I'm sorry. I can't make it today. I just bought a field, and I have to go check it out. Excuse. Well, wait a second. You just bought a field that you've never seen before? You don't have any idea what the condition of this field is, but you bought a field and now you have to go check it out after you bought it? What if it's full of rocks? What if it's good for nothing? What, what are you thinking? Listen, no Jewish businessman would just buy a field without seeing it. And, and if he did, it certainly wouldn't affect a, a, a couple days whether or not he went and saw the field or not, right? It's an excuse. I can't come because I bought a field. Oh, yeah, that was a good one. I bought a field. Secondly, the, 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 the servant goes to the next one. He goes, oh, hey, it's time for the banquet. Why don't you come? And, and the guy's like, oh, uh, well, oh, is that today? I, I just bought uh, five yoke of oxen, and uh, I can't come either. I'm going to go try them out, you know, make sure that they're, they're going to work for me and all this kind of stuff. Now, you know, this is like buying a used car. How many of you would just buy a used car with ever, never test driving it? Would you? Now, okay, I did before, I'm telling you. And thank God it worked out. I bought one on eBay one time. And, and I was just in, you know, shambles the whole time. Man, what if it's... Uh, 
but it came out okay. But, but re realistically, smart people, which I'm not, would not um, do that, right? They would, they would go check the oxen out. They would make, how would you know that they, didn't, they weren't lame or didn't, was sick or had broken legs or something? But again, even if they were to do that, the idea is that they were making an excuse. You know, they could, they could go try out the oxen tomorrow or the next day after they went to the feast. That would be no big deal. But yet they are making excuses. The, the next one's glorious. Yeah, I can't go today because I, I, I married a wife. What does that mean? Like, who's wearing the pants in the family here, you know? Is he saying that I'm not going now because, uh, because she's not going to let me out? Or, you know, is it because I want to hang out with her? I don't know what he's saying. But, but the reality is, is that was just an excuse. How many of you know people who make excuses constantly about why they can't uh, serve God, why they can't be with God, why they can't spend more time with God? People make excuses all the time. And they're literally doing that, making excuses. Oh, man, I'd love to go to Bible study tonight, but I've got to wash my hair. Can't do it. Oh, it's Thursday night. That's shower night. Can't do the shower night. Oh, please, stay home. Take, take your shower, you know. But oh, whatever it might be. Oh, man, you know, and here's, here, here's what I want you to understand. These excuses, these excuses are not excuses that are inherently evil, are they? Buying property, buying oxen. You know, he's talking personal possessions, the field. He's talking, you know, oxen, occupational things, working. He's talking about a wife, relationships. Well, I can't come tonight because, you know what, I got to work. But you, you, you work every Sunday, and every, it seems like every time there's something going on, you work. Is that an excuse? Or do you... Is that really the issue? You know, sometimes we have to reprioritize our lives based on you know, um, the, the reality that we only have so much time. And the Bible would tell you to number your days. The Bible would tell you to, to invest in the future, to invest in heaven and not on the earth, right? And so, yes, we need to take care of our families. That's biblical. It's a biblical mandate that we would work hard and that we would provide for our families and all that kind of stuff. But, but I, I believe, and this is, I think this is a problem across the board in in uh, America today is that people are so focused on the horizontal and taking care of the needs of the families and stuff um, that the relationship with God is put on the back burner. I hate it when I hear somebody got a new job. I hate it because I don't know what that will mean for them. I can't stand it when somebody says, hey, I just got a new girlfriend. Oh, I can see what's going to happen here start to slip away because, oh, we're doing this. Oh, we're going to go to the lake this weekend or we're going to do that. Listen, it's not about coming to church. But listen, if you can't commit to being in fellowship with God at least a couple times a month or something, I would say, what does your relationship look like on a daily basis with God? Probably doesn't exist. You're probably so busy making excuses for all this other stuff of why you can't do this that you're saying, oh, it's just simply a self-focus. And you guys are here, and, and I'm praise you, and praise the Lord you're here this morning, and I'm not condemning you, and I'm not coming down on you, but I'm just telling you that, that there are, in the, in the world that we live in, man, there are a plethora of excuses that people make on why they can't serve God, you know, be in deeper relationship with God or whatever the case might be. And I would say that, you know, you, you have to be careful with your life about the, the choices that you make.
Because remember, this isn't your life. You were bought and paid for. Jesus Christ bought and paid for you. You're not, you're not left up to your own to go and do whatever you want now. You're here with a plan and a purpose on your life, and it's not simply to provide for your family. There is a spiritual aspect that should be the number one priority of your life. There is some plan that God has for your life as it relates to heaven and the spiritual realm that if you miss it, you've missed it altogether. God would tell you today, man, look at your priorities. How are you living your life? Are you making your decisions based on what's best for you? Or do you take God into consideration when you're taking a new job, when you're getting to that relationship? I know my son was looking for a job. I, we, you know, we, we, we have the opportunity to teach into his life right now, and we tell him, look, you know, there's got to be some non-negotiables when you take a new job. You know, as in, you know what, you serve on the worship team at church. And so, you know, if that's important to you, you feel like God's called you to that, and that, that's what he really has for your life, then you have to make that a priority in your life, and you, can, you have to tell them, look, I can't work on this day. I can work later on Sunday or whatever, but I, I'm served God on Sunday mornings, and, you know, I have worship practice on Tuesday nights, and, and you know, um, and, and, and so, you know, you, you let them know that, and you start to carve out that time for him. God will bless that. God will bless it when you make him a priority. I remember Greg Laurie said one time to his wife when they were first starting dating, he, he told her, look, he, he set the ground rules right away. You, you might not want to do this. You might be by yourself. But he said to her, um, hey, you know what? Don't you ever get in the way of my relationship with Jesus. Don't you ever get in the way. Wasn't that presumptuous? Maybe she should have been the backwards. Maybe she should have said that to him. No. But, but that's, that's the reality because there is no earthly relationship. I don't... Husband and wife is the most sacred relationship that we have in this world, and that relationship does not trump your relationship with God. You hear me? God's, your relationship with Jesus Christ, with, through Jesus Christ to the Father, is the most important relationship in this world, and don't you forsake that. Don't forsake it for anything. People make all kinds of excuses. These kind, th what was going on in this culture, in this, it, in this story here, would have been absurd to these people. They would have said, are you crazy? Nobody would, would, would beg out on a, a banquet like this after, that's like social suicide, man. Nobody would do that. And Jesus was illustrating something that was already happening. It wasn't as if they were trying, as if this was something that was, was uh, um, you know, theoretical or, or you know, fantasy this was happening people were already doing that and yet they thought they were serving God these were just lame excuses man lame excuses they didn't have they didn't place enough value in their relationship with that man having the banquet they didn't have he didn't have enough value in their life that they would forsake themselves and whatever they wanted to do to make sure that they fulfilled what their word was to him Totally self-focused. Verse 21, so the servant came and reported these things to the master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the cripple and the blind and the lame. And so Jesus would tell him, that, you know, Jesus is telling them that, that because the, now the banquet's already prepared, there's, there's all kinds of food there's nobody there to fill the tables to eat this food that now we're going to take that invitation out into the outcasts of this society. He, he said, you know, go to the, the poor, the cripple, the blind, the lame. Wait a second. Doesn't that 
parallel with what he just said to the guy in, about the invited guests in verses 12 through 14? Didn't he tell him to invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame? Didn't he tell him to invite them because they couldn't repay him? And so the, the banquet um, host of this, of this feast would now go out into the society and he would invite those people that really didn't belong there at all. They didn't belong, they didn't belong you know, in this place. They didn't belong in a, in a banquet at all. No one would ever invite them. And yet this master would have compassion on these people and he would say, you know what? I have a, I have a banquet here and I want to eat with people. And these people are people. Maybe they're the least of people, but they're people and I love people and I want people to come. And so he would invite the lame and the poor and the cripple and the blind and the lame. And you know, I'm thankful that, that, that that's the way that God works, that he invites the least of us to come. Because ultimately, if he wouldn't have, I wouldn't be here today, and I'm pretty sure you wouldn't have either. I'm not saying you're the lowliest of the low of the world, but I'm just saying that none of us deserve this. None of us deserve the privilege it is to be able to come into his presence anytime we want. He opened the door for us through his son. If God wouldn't have invited the least, the strangers, those who, um, these crippled, the, the poor, these people, none of us would be here this morning. And he told the servant, the servant came back to him and said, yeah, we've done that, man, and there's still room. Look at verse 23. And the master said to the servant, go out into the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. Jesus uh, goes on to tell us that, that, that even though he went into the, to the um, streets and into the, uh, the lanes of the city and he invited these, the least of these people to come, that there was still room, that there needed to be more people to come. And so he said, go outside the city walls and go to the highways, go to the hedges and look for people and bring them in. Now, what he's talking about here is not, 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 um, not the city dwellers. He's not talking about the, the, you know, the neighbors that would be all in the same community. Now he's saying, go get strangers. I want you to just invite strangers off the street to come into my house and to have a meal with me, to be invited to this great banquet. And, uh, um, and so th they, they would go out and do that. And, and, and it says here that they, would, they, we, they were to compel people to come in, to compel them. Like that means to, 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 to have to force them in a, in a way, not physically force them to come, but, but to have to compel them to, con to, to speak to them in such a way that they would be, um, you know, they would get over the things that would hang them up from coming. The things that would hang them up would be like, well, I can't repay you for this social service that you've provided for me. You've invited me to a banquet. I can't invite you to a banquet. I'm never going to have a banquet. So that doesn't make sense to me. You know, I I'm not able to repay you. That was the cultural currency. And yet, um, he would tell them to, to compel these people to come anyway. Well, I'm not worthy to come. Who am I? I'm just a, I'm just a, a pastor buyer. Why would you want me to come? Because my master loves people, and he wants people to come in. And so, uh, you know, you, you would go and compel them to come. Get over whatever excuse you have and not coming and come. And, and, and these guys would be as bold as to say, listen, you may not be worthy, but he thinks you're worthy. It, you, you may not um, be able to repay, but he's not expecting you to repay. You need to come. There's no clauses 
as it relates to this. There is no strings attached to this invitation. He just wants you to freely come as you are, but I don't have anything to wear. Oh, don't worry. He'll provide that too. He'll give you a robe of righteousness. You don't need to, wear, to worry about what you're going to wear. He will provide it for you. Listen, God has done, he's gone to great extents to make sure that we have been invited and that we have been, uh, you know, even compelled to come in to his presence, into his feast. Jesus ends this parable here by saying, For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. This is the principle of the parable. This is what all this is all getting to. Oh, blessed is the one who eats the bread in the kingdom of God, brother. To, to Jesus' point, none of you will be at, the, at this banquet. None of you. None of you. Now, if you're a Jew, those are some heavy words, man. Because here's the reality. What Jesus is saying is, is that you're not good enough. And man, would that cut to the heart of a religious Jew who thought that he was righteous they would prod themselves and prance around in their robes and, and you know, have the, everybody in the city look at them and glorify them as if they were these righteous people. And, and they would be actually keeping people away from God because people would look at them and how they would position themselves as being so righteous and say, man, I can never do that. So how can I possibly come to God? You know, and, and some Christians do that too, man. Position themselves as if they are righteous on their own as if they have it all together, as if they're following the law, as if God is lucky to have them on, on his team, right? But the reality is, is that all of us are bankrupt, man, and we need him. We need Jesus. He tells them that, you know, none of you who were invited shall taste of the banquet. Now, this is an indictment on the entire nation of Israel. What, what he's saying is that, 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 that an invitation has gone out to the nation of Israel. Here's, the, here's kind of the overall application of this verse. Okay, the, the man giving the banquet, you, you already know, is God. The man that's given the banquet, he's, he is God himself, and he is, he is given an invitation. That's the gospel. The gospel, the fact that your righteousness comes through Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. And, 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 and so the, that invitation went to the Jews initially, to the house of Israel. They rejected, they, they, they had said, oh yeah, we accept that, and they took the form of the law upon themselves, and they started to live according to the law. But when the second invitation came out and said, hey, now it's time to come, they were so righteous on their own that they didn't need the second invitation. They didn't need to come to the banquet, and so they rejected it. And so God the Father would say, well, go into the lame, go into the, the, the least of, the, of those in this culture, those who would be considered sinners, you know, those who are lame and poor and whatever. I mean, when they look at anything, anything that happened in your life that was external to your body, sickness, uh, you know, um, disease, whatever it might be, poorness even, uh, they would consider that to be some sin in your life that created you to be that way. Like God isn't having favor on your life because there's sin in your life. And, and so, you know, you need to get right with God. And so God would tell them, no, just come as you are that you would come and he would, he would minister to them. And then, um, and then so, so that's, that's again, a, a, the, the rejects of, 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 of uh, the, the house of Israel. And then he says, go into the highways and the byways. This is, 
This is um, God reaching out to the Gentile world with the gospel, and he's telling them, you know, go get those strangers and you bring them in. This was the plan the whole time. This was the plan the whole time. This is exactly what the Old Testament says. And yet they made the message something else. They took the message of God and they made it whatever they wanted it to be. And so Jesus said, because of that, you're not going to inherit that, that banquet. You, you're going to be resurrected, but it's not going to be a good thing. It's not going to be a good thing. And you know that the majority of the people, I, I mean, I can't, you know, there's no possible way any human being could put a number on what that would mean. But do you think Jews are saved? They are not saved if they were not abiding in the word as it said it, they were to be, as they were supposed to be looking toward the, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Particularly these people who would crucify him. Particularly in these biblical days where the people would crucify Jesus and they would reject him as, as Messiah. From the time that the children of Israel came back from Babylon, all the way through the time where Jesus had come, they started living according to their own rules. They were not living according to the word of God. They, they started doing their own thing. And they sort of, in, in a way, made their own religion. They had a form of godliness, but they denied its power. And so God said, you know what? I'm turning my eyes off of you, and I'm turning my eyes on another. And that would be the Gentiles. And, and you should be thankful for that because you're a Gentile, unless you're Jewish here. But I'm a Gentile, and I'm thankful for that. God turned his eye away from his chosen people to the Gentiles, and he offered and extended uh, his son so that we could be saved. And, that, and, and so now, you know, when, when we get to the tribulation period, God will turn his eyes back onto Israel, and it will be all about Israel and his, him, them realizing that they rejected Jesus as the Messiah. I mean, he has a big picture plan in all of this. Like, he hasn't forsaken. We don't believe in replacement theology. We don't believe that you know, the church has taken over Israel's spot or anything like that. We believe the church to be separate from, from Israel. They're two different people groups. Now, you know, the idea is that we're all one body, but there are two different places there. There is the, 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 the you know, you look in Revelation and there's, there's, uh, there's the 12 pillars of Israel and then there's the 12 pillars of, of the disciples, you know. And so 24 elders of the, uh, of the, around the throne there and, and probably representing the 12 um, tribes of Israel and, and the 12 uh, apostles or whatnot. But the idea is that God has not forsaken Israel, but he's not focusing on them right now. He's focusing on the highways and the byways. Where do we stand in this parable? Well, Jesus has sent servants out into the highways and the hedges to, to invite those to come in. And, and when the last Gentile accepts Jesus Christ as their Savior, that is when the all eyes will be turned back on Israel. We believe the rapture will happen at that point. We'll all be um, caught up with Jesus in, in the clouds the church will be gone, and then God will solely focus on, on, is, on Israel once again for seven years. And then at the end, Jesus will come back, and we'll, we'll have that glorious time with him. So Jesus is, 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 you know, telling these guys, pleading with these men that hate him, his enemies. He's pleading with them that they would accept the invitation. And he would plead with any person in this room or any person in this world. I don't care if you, you, someone in your life, you're like, there's no way this person deserves, you know, God at all. I mean, they're so debaucherous. They're so vocal about hating God and all this kind of stuff. And yet, do you know 
Jesus himself would nestle up next to that person and say, I love you. I love you. He, he's extending this invitation to everyone, no matter who they are or what they've done. And maybe you're here this morning and you're saying, hey, that's me. I need that invitation. I need to uh, come to that place. I can't, you know, I really recognize that I'm not righteous on my own. That I need Jesus Christ to be my, my righteousness. Because every time I try and, you know, I get up on Monday morning, I'm going to start. I'm going to start reading the Bible, start praying, and then spiritual warfare happens. And, and you know, or, or you, you, your priorities aren't right and the cares of the world, like the sower talks about. The, 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 thorns, uh, the thorns grow up and choke, the, choke out the gospel in your life. You're so worried about what's going on in the world and, and you know, the cares of, of your, your family and whatnot that you can't even live for the Lord. And he would say to you this morning, hey, listen, this isn't a game. You know, I love you and I want to be in relationship with you. And time is short. And he would, he would, he would say, he would be compelling you this morning to say, listen, Lay your life down. Accept what I've done for you. Take on my righteousness. You can't come to me any other way because I want you at the table with me. And for some of you guys who are here, you're like, yeah, I've accepted the gospel and, you know, I get it and stuff, but you're really just caught up in, you know, you've, you've got the golden ticket and you're not really doing anything with it. You're not really taking what God has given you and reproducing in other people's lives. You're just kind of living for yourself. And you're just like, well, this is what we do, you know. Just like, you know, the worldly model is, you know, you go to school till you're 18, then you go to college, and then you get a job. And that's just the model over and over and over. That is not the Christian model. The Christian model is I'm born again. I start listening to my heavenly Father who speaks through his spirit in my life, empowers me to live the life that he's called me to, and I'm following him and whatever he wants me to do. And that's not going to look the same for you as it will for me. But I'm following him. I'm doing what he's calling me to do. And you know what? Everybody else might be looking at you like you're crazy. Like, why are you doing that? Are you, you insane? Are you insane that you would quit your job and go, in, go into missions full time? Are you insane you have a great job? How are you going to provide for your family? We trust God. It's by faith, right? So maybe some of you are in that category this morning where you're saying, you know, I'm not really living the way that I should be for God. I'm not on fire for him. I, I mean, I'm saved and I'm, I know about Jesus and I've accepted Jesus in my life and I'm just kind of complacent with my walk with him, you know. He would want to fire you up this morning and he would want to shake your birdcage up a little bit and say, knock it off because time is short and I love people and I want people to hear the gospel and thank goodness that he's not fully depending on you, but he has sent you. Like he sent you into the world. Like he's not gripping the clouds, peeking over going, oh my goodness, I hope they do what I said. You know, that would be, a, that would be devastating. Because none of us would be here. But thankfully, thankful he is, orchest you know, he's working in all kinds of different ways. Through his spirit. Because his spirit is the convictor of the heart. It's not us. The words that we speak into people's lives, the spirit takes and makes it make sense to them. Thankfully, that happens every Sunday morning. But, um, you know, the idea that he, when you speak something, you don't have to worry about what you're saying because the Spirit of God is at work. It's Him that convicts the heart, right? It's the Spirit of God that woos a person to man, you know? And so um, you don't have to really put a lot of weight on your shoulders. You just go and do what He tells you to do. If you're not doing that today, I want to encourage you, listen, we're, this, you know, don't be religious, be relational. Don't you talk about your wife? 
you talk about your, 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 you know, your cousin or your friends or whatever. Hey, Joe did this last night. It was so awesome, you know, and all this kind of stuff. You know, you're sharing with them the experience you had with this person. You can do the same thing with your relationship with Jesus. The same idea. You don't have to get all theological. You don't have to put all, all of it, you know, in a nice conformed package, you know, and make it look nice for them and market it to them. You don't. You just live it out and speak it as the Lord opens up the doors. And maybe for some of you, you're, you're doing everything. You're already doing that. And you're living for the Lord. And Jesus would say to you, keep going. Keep going out until I tell you to stop. We have a job to do, church. And our job is to go reach the lost. And you might say to yourself, well, I'm not gifted that way. I don't know if I can do that. You can do that. God has gifted you to do that. He's given us a blanket call across the board to go into the nations and to speak about Jesus, to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so you have been equipped to do that. You've been equipped to go and share the gospel, so do it. And if you're doing that, praise God. Continue to do it. If you want an opportunity to do that, come on at 145 this afternoon. And Ginger and uh, some people will go out and they'll go door to door and they'll share their faith and you can kind of break the ice. Whatever the case might be, but listen, we are in, I believe, the last of the last days. I believe Jesus is coming back very soon. And when that door shuts, it's shut. There is no second chance. So if you have family members that don't know Jesus, if you have friends that don't know Jesus, and you've been him on around, and you haven't talked to them, and I'm talking to myself right now, stop it. You know, don't force it down their throat, but God will open the window up. But if you're not looking, you won't see the window. So be looking for it. Share the gospel. Be what Jesus called you to be, the church, his bride, and tell him about him. Amen? Father, we thank you so much for your word and just for this incredible banquet that you're preparing for us even now. Lord, we know that there'll become a day when your servant's going to come and you're going you're to say, now it's time. And then the door will be shut. Lord, I pray for anyone in this room this morning that has not accepted that invitation, that you just move on their hearts right now to, to reach out to you you told us, Lord, that, that um, you are the resurrection and the life. And anyone who believes in you has eternal life. Your word tells us that if we confess our mouths that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we'll be saved. Maybe there's someone here this morning, Lord, that needs to accept you as their Savior. Would you help them, Lord, to just have the boldness to come to you this morning and just be honest with you? Maybe they've been, you know, focusing on themselves and on their own righteousness. <laughs> and you're telling them this morning, hey, only Jesus can get you there. That you would help them to just, just say a prayer that would be something similar to this, Lord. Father, I come and recognize that I'm a sinner before you. And that I need a Savior. And I believe that Jesus is that Savior. I've sinned and I'm turning away from my sin and I'm asking for forgiveness this morning. I'm asking that Jesus would cleanse me and forgive me. I'm inviting you into my life to be my Lord and Savior. Lord, help me now as I turn away from the things that I've been doing and turning to you that, that, I, be, that I be on fire for you, Lord. That I bring fame to your name in this world. 
So I'm committing myself to you. Everything that I am, I surrender. And Father, for my brothers and sisters here that are kind of just playing church, that are saved but really aren't being impacted, impactful in the world, Father, I pray your Holy Spirit would just convict the heart and that your Holy Spirit would empower to get over the fear that is stopping maybe some of us in this room to, from doing what we're supposed to do. We're afraid of what, what it might mean for our relationship with that person if we start, start telling them about Jesus or what it might, or, or just simply that we won't have the words to say. Lord, you are not the author of fear. You're not the author of confusion. You'll give us the words. You'll, you'll embolden us to speak those words. And so we pray for a filling of your spirit upon this place today that you would just empower us, Lord, to be these end days saints that would bring the gospel into the world, Lord. And I also just pray for my brothers and sisters who are already doing that. You continue to fan the flame in their heart, Lord. You continue to help them to, to stand firm in the gospel and to not be ashamed of it because it's the power of God unto righteousness for those who belong to salvation for those who believe. So, Lord, we thank you. We love you, God. We praise you for who you are. And we ask you just continue to help us to depend on what you've done for us on the cross, to do our best with, with our lives, Lord, but ultimately to rest by faith in what Jesus has done for us. So, Lord, we love you. We thank you. We ask you to just continue to move as we close in this last song, Father, whatever might be on our hearts that we wouldn't leave with, that we would do as you would lead us to this morning. God, we love you, we praise you, in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.